And now, broadcasting from a two-person hot tub, high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK and Rick. Welcome to another special edition of the E-Town Lowdown COVID-19 pandemic. Today is Tuesday, August 25th, 2020, and I have my good friend Pamela Dunley, the president and CEO of Elmhurst Memorial Hospital on the line. It's been a while, Pam. How are you? I am fabulous, and I'm looking out my window and seeing sunshine, so I hear it might be really warm out there, but it doesn't look really warm. It just looks beautiful. It's, uh, it's warm. I was out a little while ago, and uh, it's very warm. <laughs> so I was looking at my notes, and we haven't spoken in about four weeks, but beyond that, um, this pandemic's been going on over four months, or excuse me, over five months now. It was actually I looked it up and it was declared a pandemic by the World Health Organization in early March. I think it was March 10th or 11th. So uh, how how are you uh, and your staff holding out? Well, I clearly know that it's been going on that long because we had our first patient on March 12th. So uh, we've been going through it for a very long time. I actually thought we would be in a totally different place by now, but obviously this is going to be with us for quite a while and we're doing well. I think, um, you know, everybody has kind of settled into a routine and knows what they need to do. And it's, it's not like it was, we're not panicking and scary and, and, um, and we are getting business done. And I think I, I feel good about where we're at. Um, you know, we'll wait and see how, the fall and winter go and what will be lovely is when we do have the ability to go back to somewhat normal life again but i cannot predict when that will be can you give me an update on your uh, census among you know for covid patients yes um the last time we spoke which was quite a while ago um, we had 12 inpatients and um, at this point in time, I am happy to say we only have four inpatients and two patients that were re- waiting for the results to come back. Um, and I think we've been averaging really anywhere under 10 patients, but closer to four, five, six inpatients with one or two waiting results, which is to me, very exciting. Uh, what I do know, though, is that we do still are doing a lot of testing and a lot of um, people are coming back positive. So it is not that there is uh, that low number of people being positive. It's just the hospitalization rate is much lower. Um, in terms of where we're at with uh, current deaths, you know, when we talked last, we were at 77 deaths. And today we are at 82 deaths, so not a huge growth in deaths. And in terms of DuPage County, DuPage County, the last time we spoke was at uh, 10,953 positive patients. At this point, they're at 13,909. And the county deaths were at 459, and right now we're at 530. And for the state, it was at 172,655, and now we're at 221,790. Deaths were at 7,416, and they're up to 7,888. And for the good news, our discharges went from 459 to 504. 
So even though we're having fewer patients in the hospital, those patients that are in the hospital are getting discharged, which is really exciting. And the recovery rate for the state of Illinois remains at 95%, which I think is also very positive. Right. As it relates to staff, have have you had any evidence that any staff working in your COVID units have caught COVID in your COVID units? No. um, There may have been one or two patients across the system or people across the system that worked in a COVID unit that did get test positive, but we don't know where they caught it. Uh, We average about one employee a week who tests positive for COVID, which is you know, just part of being in the community. How is uh, the testing capability now? Last we talked, you know, it was it was pretty hefty, but you still weren't able to test too freely. Any any changes in that? Well, you know, testing capability is really a moving target. It's uh, fluid because of the shortage of testing kits, and the the reason for that is because there is. Um, m- much more demand now for the kits in other states and so our suppliers are trying to send it to where there's the highest risk right now in terms of people who are positive and it being um, very acute in those states in terms of the condition and how severely ill people are getting and we've got it more under control so it's harder to get testing kits. We've been utilizing um, our all the different COVID testing platforms which has been phenomenal for the hospital. So we have figured out, you know, how many we can do, how many do we do we have to send out to other places so that we can try to help, you know, with whatever the community need is and demand from either patients coming in or organizations that need our help or our own employees. Um, you know, hopefully, uh, eventually, you know, we won't have an issue with getting enough kits and that we won't have an issue with then have, being able to test everybody and anybody, but it's it's really the number of kits being available that is our limiting factor. I know there's um, a bunch of people that are uh, going back to school, a bunch of students, some virtual, some in person, and um, there are a couple of universities in particular that there have been some success with these rapid saliva tests, whereby they're, they're even testing some, I think at University of Illinois, they're testing twice a week. Just wonder if uh, that's anything that's on Elmhurst Hospital's radar and if if something like that might become more prevalent across the country. Well, we believe that the saliva test is a good test, and we're looking into figuring out how we can get access to enough of it to be able to offer to our patients. So we don't have that availability right now, and we're a little concerned because we know that there's really high demand for this test all over if we're going to be able to get availability of it. But if we can, we will try to have that. And don't you think, though, that, that heavy testing without a vaccine is the only way to keep this under control? Well, well I think way, <laughs> I think testing there. helps us to know if, if somebody's been exposed, you know, or if they they have it, helps us to help them do some behaviors to quarantine themselves to stop ex, to exposing other people. But we all should be practicing um, still face masks and six feet apart and all of the practices that we've learned that help prevent spread as well. You know, because your test is only as good as the day you do your test. Right. And then if you got exposed a week or two later and you can't get it and you don't get tested again for another three weeks, you know, you could be exposing people. Right. 
So with, with the students going back to school, um, you know, we've talked a little bit in the past about young people, for the most part, not suffering the, the rough symptoms that the uh, that older folks are. Do you expect hospitalizations to increase with school going back, or do you think it's just going to be the sickness increases and not necessarily hospitalizations? Well, we're hopeful that there's no dramatic increase in hospitalizations. What we're seeing now, as I said, is that there is still the sickness out there, but the hospitalizations have stayed down. So I don't know why that is. I don't know if, um, you know, it's just because it's younger people coming back sick. Although when I look at the ages, because I get a daily report of everybody who's been tested and turned positive, and I can see their ages, and it is a variety of ages. There's always a few uh, people that are over 65 or 70, and there's many in the um, adult range and then many in the teen range, and a few times there's in the children's range, too. So it's all different ages. Um, you know, it's going to be really important how the schools institute their comprehensive plans on social distancing, universal masking, and screening protocols. It's really going to make a difference in terms of of the spread and also in terms of, you know, a percentage is always going to need to get hospitalized. So if there's less spread, then there'll be less hospitalizations. I know that the medical community has not wanted to go on the record saying that if you catch it once, you can't get it again because there's no proof of that. But have you heard of any reports of folks getting it again that that had it once before? Well, I heard on the news this morning that there was one, but I didn't get to listen to the whole news, so I don't know what that said. Um, here at Elmhurst, we have not seen anybody who has had it who has gotten it again. So from our own practical standpoint, no. A lot of us have friends that have been infected with with uh, coronavirus and suffering from COVID-19, and they want to uh, stop isolating, so to speak, and many people are nervous about when they can be around somebody properly socially distanced who's had the disease. And they're, you know, I, I looked on the, the CDC's website and the Illinois Department of Public Health website, and it indicated that if you had a mild case and your symptoms started more than 10 days ago and you haven't had a fever without fever-reducing meds for 24 hours, you didn't need to isolate anymore. And if you had more severe case that you needed to wait 20 days since the symptoms appeared and not have a fever or symptoms for 24 hours without fever reducing meds. Is that good guidance just 24 hours later or is that kind of pushing it? That's a mouthful. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, the CDC and the IDPH has changed these um, recommendations over time. So they had they had different recommendations. It was 14 days. It was um, 14 days and three days post fever. And now they're at 24 hours and 10 days post onset of symptoms as long as you have no symptoms. Um, so that is the current recommendation. You know, whether what's accurate you know, it's it's based on what the current knowledge, current literature is. So it is 24 hours of being fever-free without taking any medications and being 10 days post the um, onset of symptoms and not have and not having current symptoms. So, if you have any of the one things, whether if it's not 10 days post and 24 hours free, if it's not no symptoms and 24 hours free, then you should be still staying away. But once all three things are there, then you can come back to work or go out and visit. 
there was a big uh, news report in the last few days that the FDA, FDA issued an emergency authorization to uh, use convalescent plasma when treating COVID. And um, I know that a lot of patients were already treated with convalescent pl plasma. So what difference does that make that they issued this authorization, if any? So I thought that was uh, a great question on your part because I have said multiple times that we've been treating people with convalescent plasma. And then when that news you know, came out, oh, now we FDA has approved it and now we can use it, you're probably thinking, why have you been using it if it wasn't approved? I'm sure there's a good reason. So, <laughs> um, so the emergency authorization allows us to use it in two different ways. So when we used it now, it was because it was under a process that physicians um, were part of an investigational new drug clinical trial program that we are part of with Mayo Clinic. And so there was very specific criteria that had to be completed, and we had to get permission every time we used the convalescent plaza. And so we will no longer have to do that because um, that was that was only required because it was an investigational drug and not um, permitted for use for emergencies. The second change that, that this means is that um, the approved study is no longer needed to infuse convalescent plasma so more physicians can choose to use it on their treatment. So you don't need to meet all the rigorous criteria that there was for getting Mayo's approval for us to start using the, the to use it on somebody. And so more patients will have the ability to now get the treatment. So those are two really major important uh, changes that took place. And, um, and what that means is there's going to be more demand for the convalescent drug plasma. So if anybody's interested in donating, please go to the website, um, www.versity.org, V-E-R-S-I-T-I.org, and, um, and sign up to be able to donate. And that is if you have had a positive um, COVID test or a positive antibody test and you have, an, have no symptoms for at least 14 days, then you would be eligible to donate um, convalescent plasma. That's good advice, and I hope that people will uh, heed that advice. Uh, any new therapeutics um, that you've been using the last month or so that we're not familiar with other than remdesivir and, and obviously the convalescent plasma? Um, I think I told you this before, but we've been using steroids, and that's been very helpful as well. You did. Good. Um, I had somebody ask me yesterday about a flu shot, and um, – when do you recommend, or the medical community recommend, that we get those flu shots in our climate? Sooner rather than later, or, or is it too early? So it's a little bit early now, now, but it will be very soon the flu shots will be available. And as soon as they are available, we are recommending that you get your flu shot. And if you are greater than the age of 65, we are asking that you get the high-dose flu vaccine. Um, it has more uh, vaccine in it to to, and hopefully will cover you better. And it's only required for those over 65 or somebody who's who's really at high risk. Um, but in general, the regular flu shot works well as long as it's the right flu shot for whatever flu we have this year, um, which we know is always um, 
not an exact science, and but we are recommending that everybody get it sooner rather than later. Usually, we say you could wait a little while because then it, you have a longer immunity during the um, winter and early spring months. But this year, we're we're hoping people get it early to prevent any early flus. And the high dose shot that's um, instead of the regular shot, or in addition to right. No, instead of. instead of. Okay. Yes. Anything uh, new on the vaccine front? Uh, I'm sure uh, the whole world's waiting to hear your answer on this one. <laughs> and I don't have an answer. We're monitoring all of the COVID vaccine trials, and we know there's a local one going on right now. Um, and we're hoping that they're successful and we can get moving, pro- hopefully, you know, um, December, January. But who knows? We're all praying for that, that. That will be very rapid, though. That will be very, very rapid compared to other vaccine trials. It's usually a couple of years, isn't it? Yes. So I've heard about these machines that are, they're not exactly a ventilator. They're called an ECMO machine, and that's, I'm sure, an acronym, ECMO, that are being used on some COVID patients that are suffering very badly from this, and there's a lot of success. What do you know about an ECMO machine? What What is it, and and uh, are there any in the Chicago area? Well, yes, there are ECMO machines in the Chicago area. I will not tell you what it stands for because I cannot remember. But um, we have one over at Edward Hospital, and we have used it on some of our patients. Um, you know, there's one at University of Chicago. Uh, there, I, there, there's several around the area. Um, but our patients go over to Edward to have it to be utilized. And what an ECMO machine does is it it diverts your blood from going into your from your lungs into a machine where it can oxygenate your blood. So it it's like a f- fake lung, okay. <laughs> and it does the work that your lung would do, and then it puts the blood back into you as if it had gone through your lungs, and it gives your lungs a chance to heal and yet keep you oxygenated with blood. Um, so it, it's it's been very, very helpful for people who are very progressed in the disease and are having a lot of problems with their lungs to keep them having enough oxygenated blood and also to allow their their lungs to heal. The fact that there are not a lot of them out there, is that because they're very expensive or are they a new technology or a little of both? A little of both, plus it takes very specific kind of um, physician training and team training to be able to manage it. Um, So, you know, we've always just taken our patients and transferred our patients when they require this. And plus, we haven't, there hasn't been a high demand for need for use of ECMO. It's a very, it's only in very ill people um, that you need to use this kind of machine. And so I think that's why we just don't keep them at all hospitals. So I know that the hospital has changed a lot of its operating procedures. We've talked over the last several months about it as a result of the pandemic. Any uh, more recent changes since we spoke last month? You know, I just think um, we're using a lot of safety mechanisms that people don't always like because it's not what it's easy and convenient. So uh, one of the things I don't think I've talked about is, but we have always had where if you need lab work done, you can just 
stop in and get your lab work done. You don't need to schedule it. But now everything has to get scheduled because we have to monitor how many people are coming in, make sure that you haven't been exposed, um, you know, go through all our precautions. So we have to talk to you before you come in. And so all lab work does need to be scheduled. We are looking at it to see if we can stop doing that. But right now, um, I think people need to be aware you have to call and schedule your lab work so you don't get here and then get frustrated that you couldn't get your lab work done. I think the other thing is, you know, even in the physician offices, we're still trying to keep people um, from bringing uh, somebody with them when they go to the physician office unless there's some real reason they have to have a visitor with them. We're still, you know, limiting visitors. We are are just trialing um going to be trying, I don't even know if it started yet, patients who are COVID positive being allowed to have one visitor for a couple hours a day. Up till now, they've not been allowed to have any visitors um, unless it's end of life. And then we, of course, make exceptions and work with that. So, you know, stuff that we really would like to have people be able to do like we did before, we still have to keep uh, very specific rules around how many people are in the building and making sure that they have been screened and making sure they understand the rules and limiting the number of visitors. So, um, you know, Elmhurst Memorial Hospital, the building is a very large building, and you mentioned that there are only six patients that are either being treated or suspected of having COVID in the hospital right now. So my question is, how how is the inpatient and outpatient, for that matter, census compared to normal times, you know, a year ago, possibly? Elmhurst had 80 less admissions this July than we did last July, and we had 8,974 less outpatient visits this July than we had last July. So we still are not at full capacity, and particularly in our outpatient areas, but um, and some of our outpatient areas are just starting to open up again, and that so that would be expected. And when you talk about 8,974 outpatient visits, um, you know that's we have lots of outpatient visits every day, so that's not a huge number, even though it sounds like it. Um, but the 80 less admissions is significant. But we are growing, and I am where we were. Um, our surgicals are back up to normal, but it's more through the emergency department. The emergency department hasn't picked up to what it normally runs, although the last few weeks we have been seeing the emergency department pick back up again as well. So are the finances, uh, you know, month by month getting a little bit better at least? They are a little bit better. And um, we were getting uh, help from the government uh, through the CARES Act, so I don't think we're going to be getting that unless we're surprised going forward. Um, so, you know, we will still be having issues, but they are better than they had been. Well, that's good. Uh, I read a little bit about um, a new um, initiative, if if you will, um, where EE Health is helping out COD um, with their contact tracing um, curriculum. What can you tell me about that? Yes, what we actually did was we partnered with the College of DuPage 
and DuPage County Health, and we um, donated $12,000 to be scholarships for um, people who want to train. It's a four-week online program to become contact tracers to help out the county in being able to track people with COVID or in the future any other kind of diseases that need to have contact tracing. Uh, These people would become experts at that and be able to help uh, the county because that's one of the biggest issues in, in being able to control this is to know who was exposed and where did it come from and so we're helping with this $12,000 scholarship. Thanks Very for nice. asking. I was um, driving down uh, the Illinois Route 83 the other day, and I saw a big electronic billboard with an advertisement from Elmhurst Hospital and EE Health, and it looks like there there are more awards that uh, the, have been bestowed upon the hospital recently. Yeah, I don't know which awards you saw, but we've had few awards. Um, You know, we were named, again, um, one of the top 15 medium-sized or health systems in the country and top five medium-sized health system in the country. Uh, We also, this year, both Elmhurst and Edward were named top 100, 100 hospital. And just recently, our nurses in the emergency department were um, awarded the Lantern Award, which is a um, designation for excellence in nursing within the emergency department. And it's kind of like magnet is for the entire hospital in terms of excellence for nursing. Lantern is for specifically emergency departments and nursing. So this is the first time Elmhurst has ever gotten the Lantern Award, and we're very proud of that. Our, our emergency room nurses did a lot of work to get that recognition. Well, congratulations to your staff, and congratulations to you. That's really neat. One last thing I want to ask you about, I know that um, you know I'm involved somewhat in the uh, – the uh, hospital's foundation, and I know that they have an annual fundraiser that normally would be coming up uh, here in a couple of weeks, and it, it's still going to happen, but it's going to happen virtually, and that's the Autumn Affair. What can you tell me about that? Yes, thank you so much for asking about the Autumn Affair. This is such an important um, fundraising event that we do every single year. Um, it is our big gala, and um, it is the most impactful fundraising that benefits our hospital. Typically, as you said, we do it at the Four Seasons. Of course, this year we have to pivot and not do it at the Four Seasons, and we are going to do something that is going to be a virtual event. So, you know, we're trying it out. A lot of organizations have tried it out, and we believe virtually is the safest way for us to host the event because we can't not have this event. You know, we have so much need to be able to financially continue with all the things we have to do to keep the organization safe as well as to continue to have the latest technology and continue to have the best here. So um, we're hoping that the virtual event participants would have an opportunity to learn how the hospital has been impacted by the pandemic, to learn how we've responded, um, and to, to understand how we're still involved in the communities. It's also a time for us to celebrate and share some of the wins that our patients have experienced and um, for us to celebrate how our community has been um, involved with the hospital. So we are encouraging people to sign up 
through the Elmhurst Memorial Hospital Foundation website at www.emhfoundation.org slash events and register for the event. It's going to be Saturday, September 12th from 7 to 8 p.m., so it's an hour of your time. There is no cost to participate, So, but we do require you to register. And we're asking you to invite your friends to go online. They can do it at their home or socially distance at your home. Um, and to we're asking that you continue to both emotionally and um, and spiritually as well as financially support the hospital by attending this event. And um, we're hoping to have a little bit of fun um, during this process. We will have uh, an auction and a photo booth and I'm not exactly sure how it's going to work so That'll it'll be, be interesting. fun. I can't wait to see that. <laughs> there's also following the event there's going to be live dance party for anybody who wants to hang out and still hang out on the on the um you know, I don't know if it's Zoom or like, what we're like using. Like a Zoom call the, or something like that? Like something like that. Some virtual way that they're going to have a dance party. So anybody who wants to have their kids or them dance uh, can hang out afterwards. So, But the actual programming is from 7 to 8. So please, you know, anybody from the community, please join us. Sounds like a lot of fun. And I just, um, while you were mentioning that, I looked up the number for the foundation. It looks like folks can call there, too, if they have trouble registering. And it's 331 Two two one four four eight three, and that is on September twelfth. Correct. Correct. Thank you. Glad to help with that. Um, last last thoughts you have about how things are going and uh, how the staff's doing. My last thoughts are: I think everybody, the community, our staff, our patients. Everybody has done an outstanding job responding to a pandemic that we never thought we were going to see and that we hope we never see again. But please don't let your guard down. Please continue to use your mask. Please continue to social distance. And and please help your kids during this time while they're going to school, whether they're staying home and doing it virtually or whether they're part of some kind of program where they go into the school for short periods of time um, or alternating days or however their school is doing it, I think it's going to be really stressful for the kids for a while. And whatever support you need, we're here for you, especially if you have mental health needs. Please let us know because it's been such a unique time and we're, we're getting there, but we're not quite through it. And so we need to just bring all of our energy back and hope that we can um, be on the other side by this time next year. Well, I, uh, I know that uh, mental health is, uh, you know, an area that you worked in for, for many years and it's near and dear to your heart. And uh, we all know folks that are really being affected their mental health by this crisis. So uh, thanks for mentioning that too. I meant to ask you about that. So thanks again for your time. I appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you again soon. And hopefully the next time we talk, it will be sunny again. (laughs) I hope so. And it's been great talking to you and I will talk to you soon. Thanks, Pam. Thank you. This is Aaron Jason, business development coordinator for the city of Elmhurst. Now more than ever, we're asking the community of Elmhurst to please fill out your U.S. 2020 census. It's quick, safe, and easy, and you can do it online at my2020census.gov. Thank you. Hi, this is Pamela Dunley, 
As president and CEO of Elmhurst Hospital, I know that sometimes laughter can be the best medicine. When I need a good laugh, I tune into the E-Town Lowdown. And you should too. Give it a try. The staff and management of the E-Town Lowdown would like to assure our more sensitive listeners that our food critic Sal is really half Italian. His mother is from Poland and his father is from the great country of Italy. We hope you will enjoy and not be offended. Hey, Goomba! It's me, Slappy Sal, a half-Italian food critic here. We get another culinary experience to talk about. I went over to the Silverado Grill, but I didn't have any of my fellow Italians with me. Instead, it was me, Billy the Kid, Maddie the Duke, and Marky Mark. An Irish guy, a German guy, and a Canadian. It's kind of like a League of Nations meeting on Spring Road. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? These guys told me that Silverado was like a townie joint. I'm not really sure what they're talking about. I never seen none of those people in any town I ever been in. Not in Bologna, not in Palermo. Unless maybe they're all from Rome or something, I don't know. But hey, there are all kinds of nice people there. All the servers seem to know everybody in there. Kind of like that TV show Cheers. You know that Norm guy? He's a funny guy. You know, like funny haha. Turns out everybody in the place knows the owner. Skinny Jack, I call him. Skinny Jack comes up to me and I says, uh, Hey Jack, how you doing? You know what he says? Fine. I don't know, man. I don't think Jack's even one-eighth Italian, but they, you know, nobody's perfect. But we had some good food. Billy goes burger, Maddie goes steak sandwich, Marky goes Doc's Texas chicken. Me, I go Jack's kebab. Come on now, it's got the owner's name on it, so I figured it's got to be good, right? You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Turns out this place is solid. They do it all solid right down to the fries. No complaints across the board, and the drinks are good too. Beers, rum and cokes, they got it all. I think I might have to hang out with these goofballs more often, because Silverado's got a menu that this handsome half-breed here can't resist. Now, if Skinny Jack could just get some pasta fazool on the menu, it'd be perfect. I'm Slappy Sal for the E-Town Lowdown saying, hey, go down to the Silverado and tell Skinny Jack that I sent you. The E-Town Lowdown brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right. Nine feet in diameter. This has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown.